Welcome to the Minter Dialogue Internet Show number 43. This interview is with Delphine Rubio, a bona fide expert in e-commerce. Delphine has more than a 10-year track record in e-commerce, having run Tommy Hilfiger's e-commerce store, Tommy.com, across Europe, as well as running her own pure player startup, Jardins et Plantes. For anyone interested in e-commerce, you ought to enjoy mightily listening to Delphine. Enjoy the show. Internet show where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minter Dial, author of themindset.com. That's T H E M Y N D S E T, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes on the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to the quick. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the Minter Dialogue Internet Show. Today I'm on Skype, wonderful technology. And uh, it's in a colder, snowier place than where, where I am in London today. I'm with Delphine Robiot, who I met thanks to our friend in common uh, from Adidas, Marc Leroux. So Delphine, tell us who you are and what do you do? Okay, hi. I'm Delphine Robiot. I'm French. Uh, actually, I feel a bit of a U- EU citizen because I've been living eight years in Amsterdam and now I'm living in Franconia, which is North Bavaria, and uh, working for German companies. I'm specialized in e-commerce. I've been starting working in e-commerce in 1999. I never stopped before, uh, since then, sorry. <laughs> and uh, is very, I'm very excited about this uh, whole uh, movement that's happening in e-commerce. Uh, everything's changing all the time, and uh, I love that. All right, so uh, tell us about uh, your, you, uh, where your last um, assignment with the, in, in e-commerce that I know of is with Tommy Hilfiger. Can you tell us, well, that's as a, as a salaried employee, can you tell us about your experience working in e-commerce at, at Hilfiger? So Tommy Hilfiger um, really has been moving a lot in e-commerce. So I joined in 2007, and Tommy Hilfiger was still pretty small online. Uh, it was basically an entrepreneur experience which started in Germany because the German MD actually loved e-commerce and wanted to get started. Uh, but it was done with very big categories agency who had, uh, at that time, very little experience online. So um, they started the thing, went already a couple millions, and um, the people left the company. So this project was sort of lonely in Germany. So they decided to hire me in the headquarters in Amsterdam to get things structured. And it's been pretty complex, but we went there. All right. Well, when you um, when you were creating that site with Hilfiger, one of the one of the things that always strikes me is when you have an existing distribution system, and then you, as an individual brand, bring in your own e-commerce. How did you manage that transition, and what were the challenges you faced? Well, I think lucky for Hilfiger in 2007, a lot of fashion websites, uh, multi-brands were not online yet. So I think the game is getting every day more complicated. But still, at that time, um, a few basic rules have been uh, put in place, making sure that you sell at the same price as distribution. And the other distribution channels also respect the rules to sell at the same price as you're doing. Uh, that's avoid a lot of uh, problem. And uh, as you go, I mean, help them with creatives, give them the proper brand assets so they don't develop their own brand assets or pretend to fake your brand assets. Uh, give them the right logos, for instance. That sounds basic, but at the time that was not the case. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, afterwards, you need, uh, you need to continue support, time, support them with that, you know, walking on their steps or 
reverse by making sure you share your um, your space on Google and all of the advertising. So I think rules and understanding what they need and what you need is, is key to success. As a matter of curiosity, when you uh, when your site's up and running, do you start looking at um, how Hillfigure e-commerce site is coming up on top uh, versus the other sites? Is there what sort of hierarchy? Are you ideally trying to get? Because you can have, you know, the the the, the main in, brand site. You could have the e-commerce component of it, and then of course you got the social aspects that are, are more and more figuring up top versus your distribution. How did you look at that? Well, I think the first challenge, and in many companies, it's still the challenge, is to make sure you've got one voice as a company. So when I joined Tom Figure, actually we had one e-commerce website and we had one brand website completely separated with completely different teams and advertising separately. Mm-hmm. So you ended up first fighting against people in your own side. And that's crazy, but still exists in many companies. So first you need to solve that main issue uh, by having enough branding in your e-commerce site and enough e-commerce in your brand stories. Once you've done that, of course, it's um, trying to to get the right community of A partners, uh, really high level, that you can really help uh, sell your brands in the best way possible. And then those people, you can allow them to bid and be present at the high level. And then you've got the bad partners, the ones who are selling all those discount vouchers or whatever, and that just want your name to get traffic, and those ones you really need to fight fight against. Well, what sort of tools can you use to to fight against them? Well, uh, those tools are getting away as much as you go. So first, uh, you had uh, in Google, not so long ago, you were able to, uh, to block people from advertising on your brand name. So today, it's no longer possible in all countries, but... Definitely is going through them through your wholesale channel to make sure that uh, they don't get merchandise anymore if they're not respecting the rules. So it's a bit of a fight, but you need to address that fight in order to maintain uh, your brand in a high position. It just goes to prove that when you are bringing e-commerce into a big company, you do need to have everyone on board and working and rowing together. Totally. You need to have everyone on board, and I think... If your e-commerce shows a showcase the brand properly and people are proud of the e-commerce website, then it's easy to get people on board. You, so you need first to clean clean your place, make it, mm-hmm. make it beautiful, and then people will fight for you. If, if you're not 100% right in what you're doing, it's going to be way more difficult to get people on board. All right, so Delphine, another area of uh, grand discussion, or at least in, in my area, my world, is the profitability of e-commerce. Up until 1999, for the sake of Hilfiger, there was no e-commerce. Then all of a sudden, you have e-commerce. You have your own merchandise, and when it's your own merchandise, there's a, a greater possibility of having profitability. But for many companies, uh, e-commerce within a large organization <coughs> excuse me, isn't given the right costing. There's a, uh, a lot of a vagary about the profitability. How was it for Hilfiger in terms of profitability? Uh, of course, when you're talking fashion, you're talking about very, very high margins. So if you're able to turn your stock fast enough, uh, the profitability in e-commerce makes people dream. In terms of management, they're just like, we want to grow that way. Uh, the most complicated way is to understand how fast you want to return on investment. 
Of course, you've got to um, to balance your platform costs. That's okay. But what is more difficult is to balance your brand. Um, so your brand cost. If you really want to make your e-commerce successful in the long term, you need to build the brand within the e-commerce website. And you need to have a bit of the marketing budget to, to get into the e-commerce budget. Because if you're talking about only direct error, you won't be able to have nice picture. You won't be able to have nice looks and shootings. So this is where I think it's difficult to get a profitability. Indeed. All right, so uh, with, I mean, I don't know if you can talk about it, but can you, can you mention how, it was, how profitable it was for Hillfigure? How did they evaluate it? Or if you can't, then we'd understand. Uh, it's, it's always a bit complicated, but let's say they were way more profitable than going through wholesale um, before putting the marketing costs. Mm-hmm. So, but if you added the marketing costs, then suddenly, you know, if you had like a very nice shooting, uh, like you would do for a lookbook, then then you're not profitable. Yeah. So this is where you need to put the the limit: is what do you count as being cost for the company or cost only for the e-commerce. It's a bit like you're doing a brochure and actually you put all the costs in one store. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a bit unfair because actually this store is visited by millions of people and only a few people buy. So if you put the whole cost of the brochure onto those poor limited number of orders, it doesn't break through. If you consider this is branding and it really helped the brand in total, then you've got different uh, economics. I really, so feel, I really feel it's a, a whole area of exploration. You know, how to appropriately evaluate the P&L of an e-commerce company in a larger organization. Anyway, I think that will, well, that will be another topic offline. But um, let's talk about, sorry. Just putting on this, the other key elements in this is also um, managing a European P&L. Uh, most of the time, uh, e-commerce tend to be regional or even global, but you need to have local support. But when the P&L is European, how do you get France, how do you get UK marketing guys involved? So this is also a point in terms of creating a virtual P&L. You know, you've got a marketing cost, but you've got also the local cost or local involvement. And um, if you put that on top in your balance sheet, you don't make profit, but you need this support to make it successful. Yeah, what you say, I mean, it's, it appears to me that e-commerce is, is decidedly local. And, and, you know, between having your logistics, your, your ability to adapt the product according to the market, and, and uh, the customer service. You've got to have, got to have that ability to, to act quickly, locally, and, and make people satisfied when you know how much Amazon is driving the, uh, the standard. Well, I think it depends very much on your business. I mean, um, we didn't mention it yet, but before I was working in the plant business, so plant for the garden, so not, not the nice bouquet flowers, so the ones which are actually very heavy to transport and not necessarily very expensive. When you're talking about this business, logistics is such a driver, you need to be really, really local. When you're talking about fashion, margins are so high and the product is... I would say the value per kilogram is so high that you can completely afford to go European and maybe sometimes it even break through if you're global. I mean, seeing about all the American shops who are actually selling fashion in Europe, they, they just make it. So uh, it, it's very subtle. And then you need to talk about localization, of course. And if you've got one regional call center, you may be good in localization or you may be not good in localization, depending on how good you are to recruit your French speaker or your, you know, Polish speaker. That's the whole uh, difficult exercise of being excellent in execution. All right. Well, Duffy, speaking uh, speaking of that, 
How do you, uh, when you're working with your clients today as a consultant, how do you go about defining execu- um, excellence sorry, in execution? And uh, what, what are the big challenges? Well, I think the main challenge is to make sure to focus the efforts. Um, a lot of people tend to look at everything on the website at the same time, and uh, they put patches here and there, but they don't really find breakthrough uh, results. So I usually go down uh, starting by the bottom of the funnel. You know, if you've got the right payment methods, if you've got, uh, for instance, in Germany, the payment invoice is really strong. If you've got the wrong screening um, rules, you may lose 20% of your conversion. So I think it's important to start focusing and you go up the funnel and you go step by step. And if you don't address all the points, but the ones you address, you address them well, then you get success. And the results are, of course, really engaging to continue and go further. All right, so uh, talk about down the funnel. What are the what are the specifics that you you really will look at? So we talked about payment. What else? No, I think ergonomy of the uh, order process is huge, um, especially when you're talking European. Uh, you know, having the right field name for postal code they may that may hurt uh, address checks all those details. And um, I think when you look at uh, what makes people stay on the page instead of moving forwards in the funnel, uh, gives you a lot of answers on what's wrong. So testing and um, trying to understand how many loads of each page is done is it helps you already understand a lot of problems. I mean, so you have uh, things like one one stop uh, buy, one stop click, uh, one click buy. Uh, the the number of clicks to go from when you find a product all the way to the end to get the final delivery, how much time that takes. Do you have any benchmarks? Um, yeah, I would say uh, from um, from signing to thank you, you should at least reach eighty five percent. But it depends very much on business. I'm currently working for uh, companies who are strong on still on the catalog, and they've got conversion rates which are really insane. I mean, reaching at some time 14%, you know, so I think benchmark is not is not always easy depending on, on your background and your ways of driving traffic to your website. So if you've got a catalog, of course, you would reach much higher conversion rates. Mm. All right. So what about um, the other aspects that help drive uh, drive the business. Uh, what are the other things that you look at to help drive? I mean, we could talk about social, we could talk about mobile. Where, where, what prioritization would you have in terms of focus for, for a company that you're advising? Yeah. So at the moment, I continue uh, working at the funnel and trying to really look at how you entertain people on the website. I think um, it's good to have activities outside your website, but ultimately, people are going to come to your website before they buy. And there, you need, of course, to cross-sell, upsell, but you, just, you need to tell them a story to get them excited. Um, I think, of course, when you're selling a brand, people are not buying only a polo shirt. They want to buy a polo shirt with a story, so it's even more important. But in all websites, people expect today to, to be entertained. They want, to, they want that you tell why they should buy this product and why it's going to be exciting and what other people think about it. So if you think at website like fab.com, for instance, they're really good at telling you a story, and it's pretty simply executed. You've got a product feed, and you see products next to each other, and, and it's just exciting because uh, instead of yourself deciding which product you're going to see next, it's offered to you. So. In terms of storytelling, there are, 
I mean, you can do your own storytelling within your site, uh, but then you can also use social for storytelling. What is your perspective on, on using social media for the particular area of story, storytelling or for driving business traffic? I think on social media, the most important is to find the right tone of voice and the right content that really uh, fits your audience. I mean, at the moment, I'm, I've been working just recently uh, for a baby care company, and they're very successful getting people interact on their posts on Facebook because basically they talk to this group of young women having kids uh, about very basic stuff of their life. And it's very uh, right to the point, sometimes pushing, pushing product, but not necessarily, but addressing really what they're experimenting at the moment. And, and they get a lot of likes and even like have a good weekend gets like a huge <laughs> level of answers because they had a strong conversation going on during the week and they know it's going to be lower so they're happy to see each other again on Monday. So I think getting this dialogue by being very right to the point is really great. With the audience. All right, what about um, mobile where you're talking um, investing in a mobile or a smartphone uh, or a iPad tablet device? Yeah, mobile is getting huge. Um, I think the most of websites still are not easily browsable online. So before getting into the app business, make sure that people can actually see your website and uh, continue browsing online. I think that's already great. Once you're at that point, um, I really like the, the kind of push dialogue that you can get through mobile. I mean, I'm a big fan of, for instance, the eBay application, which will remind me that there is a product I need to buy, and it's not an email. It's a little push on my mobile and my iPhone, and, and I, I like that. It's, just, it's a great service. If you can't go completely mobile, you can think about ways to continue the dialogue, um, always continuing on baby care. You've got great applications which are just baby phones and um, that's great to be able to use your mobile with a baby phone and you see the brand again and you remember about the brand because you're using it on a regular basis. So a tool which is really, really useful for the for your customer can be a way to maintain the dialogue outside the e-commerce cycle. All right, so you mentioned before that you have your, you did um, Plante Jardin. So this was a, uh, a French site, e-commerce, pure play uh, focusing on sales uh, very locally of uh, plants for you know good old fashioned gardening, as opposed to Hilfiger fashion in a big company. Talk us through some of the major differences for you in your experience between one and the other. Well, um, I think the, the there are a lot of differences, and uh, one also was the difference in platform. I mean, in 1999, you had to build everything from scratch. So you had to think first about what you really want to build because you would not be able to change your template in a day. I mean, mm -hmm. that would cost 100,000 euros instead of 1,000 today. So the great thing we did at Plante Jardin, uh, working together with my partner who was um, from uh, Marketing L'Oreal, is really think about the customer journey and what people expect. And we built, for instance, um, small stories to tell you amongst the 200 roses we had in the catalog, what were the best 10 red colors roses, the 10 most uh, uh, scented roses to help you make your choice? And um, when you think about this into the Ilfiger world, uh, it was very difficult to get you know, the, every, your act together basically to tell a story because you've got so many stakeholders in a corporation that everybody's got to say. So getting the divisions who are pushing a collection to be involved and actually select products to make sure that your story is going to look great for the brand is key. And that's, that's complicated in a corporation. 
So it's, it's again, get, getting back to having everybody on board. Mm. Well, it's a lot easier when you're a smaller, uh, smaller organization as opposed to uh, one segment of an enormous uh, global uh, organization. So um, your Plot Plot Argent is a is a French based uh, site, right? Yes, it is. What yeah. and, and and Hilfiger is more international. The baby care, I'm going to guess, is more international. How do you um, when you're focusing on Europe in particular? What are the types of key success factors that you have seen in working with Europe? Because I think of Amazon coming over here and dealing with all the languages and the different customer service requirements in Germany where returns are, are so obviously necessary, where we all have different types of payment uh, comfort factors. What, 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 um, what types of insights can you provide about that? So I think um, my main learning is that you need to solve localization. So having the right language, not translated, but also the right copy. You know, people need to have a tone of voice, which is different for country. Uh, sometimes it's going to be more formal, sometimes less formal, and you need to adjust on this. Once you have that, um, once you have your customer service and your operation payments and everything in place, you need to go to the next step. And um, you've got several routes. Either you decide to really make the sites go local, based on local marketing, being, uh, you know, trying to push things differently, or you let rules make it. And the learning at Ilfiger is actually if you create some rules on your product listing page that's basically the most click to bot, to bot are going to be at the top, you see a very different uh, size because actually you've got different patterns in fashion and some colors are going to work in some countries and some colors are not going to work in other countries. And if you let it work based on the customer behavior on your website, you'll be surprised. And I think we should trust more the customer than the marketing guys were deciding what the customer wants to say. When you say that, it, it makes me think once again that the internet and e-commerce as a part of that is a way to make companies take real understanding of the fact that the customer is the center. Totally. And if you're able to have customer groups and then have a different behavior register, well, you're able to tag different uh, behavior, you could be able to even go further and having the assortment shown differently whether you've been in some areas of the website. Think about baby care. Um, if I've been in watching a product for 0 to 12 months and then I'm going to car seat, show me first the car seats which are for 0 to 12 months old, where maybe you make more profit and you tend at the moment to show the car seats for older age groups, which would be not relevant to the customer. So, yes, the customer can bring you a lot of information and you should follow it as him or as much as possible. So, speaking of the customization, what are the... What's necessary or how, how difficult is it to put in place a system where it recognizes that I'm Minta Dial Cookie and uh, that the last six times I visited these types of sites. So now it's going to customize the interface to pop up uh, the things which are most likely to get me to buy. How, how complicated is that to put in place? Speaking, speak more like a, in layman's terms about how, how complicated that is? Well, I think at the moment, um, the funny thing is that people do, don't do the basic customization, which is, I go to a website, I've conned already, so I should be recognized at least, and better, logged in. 
if you look at the number of websites where you're not even recognized, it's so annoying. I will not log in again because it's an extra effort. If you say, welcome Delphine, and I just need to click to be recognized, that's fantastic. It sounds super basic, but a lot of websites don't do it. Look at the number of websites. Actually, your basket is emptied when you come again. It's, it's crazy. It wipes it out. It wipes it out. It just wipes it out. I did it yesterday night. I mean, I started shopping on Friday, wanted to, to end yesterday, and my, my basket was gone. So I had to go through my history to be able to find out what I selected at that time. Very, very annoying. So that's super basic. The tool exists, but most of the website don't, don't check that this is really done properly. And then when you go to the next step, usually the problem is not necessarily the technical part because most platforms offer actually a good tagging and personalization. It's more the complexity that you bring from it. So basically, if you tag people being young, um, you say, oh, we need to give them a different creative. And then suddenly, you create a total bottleneck into your creative uh, team because they're not able to provide the right content. So I think you need to be reasonable in what you expect to show to your consumer. And this is why I think, for instance, Fab is great. I mean, I've got, I receive a newsletter, and in the newsletter, the examples which are shown for the different categories are products I've actually been watching. So... It's just taking what I've been looking at and you pour it back into the newsletters and it looks super targeted, but there is no creative involved. So you can find ways to actually make your content very targeted without necessarily create a real big you know, gas factory where nobody's able to provide the right content. That's a beautiful insight, Delphine. Um, you, you mentioned emails. Um, so how important for you are emails as a uh, strategy for your e-commerce site? Well... Five years ago, everybody was saying that email will disappear. Well, email is still there and as strong as Apple. I mean, I think the communication and email is still very, very efficient. And if you're able to target it and adjust the rhythm of your emails, depending on the behavior patterns in clicking, you're still a king. I mean, you can still drive 50% of your order through email. So, yes, it's great to continue to collect emails. It's, it shouldn't stop because if you do it well, it's really paying off. All right, so you mentioned um, eBay for its mobile platform. You've mentioned Fab uh, as a great uh, site. Do you have any other sites that you consider are, are models and, and where you would send people to go, hey, this is, this is, this is really the business. Go, go check this out. Well, I, I must, I must uh, mention Tommy.com. Um, I think the great achievement in Tommy.com is the digital page. So if you go, for instance, to kick on men or women, you get stories and they're piled up nicely that all the um, creatives go together, but still you have different uh, ways to enter the collection. And link to that, the lookbook pages, I think they've been really done in a great way. It's really nice and inspirational. And it's not complicated, so I think it's a great learning. You can have a nice inspirational image and some products to buy next to it to create a shoppable story. If you look at other websites, I really like J.Crew. They've always been very good. Um, of course, they had great imagery because they're coming from the catalog. You know, they're a mail-order company. But the way they implement is extremely simple. If you look at the moment, for instance, they've got a gift-giving story. It's ranked by color, so you've got all the red products top, all the blue products and the beige products coming afterwards. How simply that creates a nice atmosphere, that it doesn't look like a fruit salad. The clear thing they do is they create animation within the page. 
So you go in a list of products and in the middle of the list, you've got a nice video starting by itself, you know, with a foot with nice, uh, you know, uh, shoes from a woman. It's still inspirational and it's very simple in terms of execution. Only one content slot is a video. I mean, you click on it, you're able to buy the product from that video. So simple. Hey, on those wonderful words, Delphine, uh, thanks for coming on the show. It's good to have you uh, from Franconia, where it's snowy this morning, so I appreciate you making the effort. Um, for people who are interested in contacting you or following you, Delphine, what would you suggest? I think the best is to send me an email. I'm very reactive, so you can reach me anytime, and uh, I'll be happy to look at um, any kind of topic, as long as it's e-commerce and you're ready to get things moving. And you can reach me at delphine.robio at gmail.com, D-E-L-P-H-I-N-E dot R-O-B-I-O-T at gmail.com. All right, well, I will be sure to put that in the show notes, Delphine. Pleasure to have you on board. I'm about to go off and do a a couple of days seminar with, with a, a large uh, retail e-commerce site. So uh, hopefully there'll be some people coming in and checking you out. Listen, have a good day. Enjoy your week. Uh, happy holidays if I don't speak to you before then. And uh, keep on uh, e-commercing. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue radio show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com, T-H-E-M-Y-N-D-S-E-T, where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter. If you like the show, please don't forget to click the handy Facebook like button or tweet it out. And if you speak French, you can find my other French language interviews on minterdial.fr. In the meantime, please come join the conversation at The Mindset or catch me on Twitter at M-D-I-A-L. Happy trails. Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast.